Did the Jets season actually turn against the Cowboys, or is that going to turn out to be the high point of their year? We're talking about it as we preview the Pats game on the Brandon Contis Jets podcast right now. Contis, I am a Contis. You better like me. I'm from Patchogue. All righty, nice job with the free music. As always, YouTube, you're listening to the Brandon Contis Jets podcast on SB Nation, episode 10 of my first ever sports podcast. We will keep it simple. We keep it short, never more than 20 minutes. If I have more to say, I just put it in another podcast. But I'm very excited for the Jets to go up against the Pats on Monday night. And I don't think I've ever been this excited for a 1-4 and four team in any sport, baseball, basketball, football. Usually at 1-4, and four, there's not much optimism surrounding your team. But with Darnold coming back and the way that they played last week against the Cowboys, there is some optimism building. And I'm actually surprised at how much optimism is building throughout this fan base. And let me say this, because I expect a better performance than the 30-14 to 14 loss in Foxborough, which it felt more like a 30 nothing loss. But I don't think the Jets are winning this game. Um, but I am a little surprised at how confident people are about it. The Jets were good last week, no no doubt about it, but the Jets were competent. They were what you're supposed to be in the NFL. I mean, coming off a 24-22 win against a 500 team, 24 points. You know, they did not put up 40 points against, against the Cowboys. They put up 20, 24 points, but that's how bad they were the first four games. Right, that's how bad they were the first, the prior three and a half games. We, we forget that their performance against the Cowboys was what a competent football team is supposed to look like. A competent football team is supposed to do. Uh, but because of how bad they were the weeks prior, we see them put up 24 points. We see Darnold play well. We see them beat the Dallas Cowboys when they were underdogs against Dallas. And all of a sudden, you know, everything uh, everything flips. And Darnold certainly has high hopes and high expectations, especially as Chris Herndon returns. And he gets his playmaking tight end back in the fold. Yeah, I mean, uh, once we get all the guys, uh, right now we're just missing Chris. Um, once all the guys are back together, uh, I think you know we're unstoppable as an offense, or we can be. It's just up to us how, how much we execute or how well we go out there and play. So uh, it's really up to us, you know, how many points we score. I think I think we're capable of scoring so many points, and um, with our offensive line too, the way they played last game, uh, you know, with the way we've been running the ball and the way they've been protecting. Uh, you know, I think sky's the limit for us. Unstoppable, sky's the limit. Great offensive line, great running game. We'll uh, we'll get to all that in a minute. But certainly, it's great great to see the confidence from your quarterback. Uh, C.J. Mosley is also back, so the team is getting getting to be as close to whole as we're probably going to see. Because it's it's unreasonable to ever expect a 100% fully healthy football team for a game ever. That it just it just doesn't happen. But let's see how much of an impact Mosley makes. You love the confidence that he's ready to go, declaring himself ready before the team even did. Um, I'm playing Monday night. I'm playing Monday night. You are? Yeah, unless I get hurt or something, I'm playing. <laughs> okay. So Mosley is back, and the timing is especially helpful with McClellan out for a concussion, but Neville Hewitt, he's been pretty solid for this team. You, you still love getting Mosley back and hope he has the type of impact he did against the Buffalo Bills in Week 1 when he did play during the first half, first three quarters or so. It proves to be one of the few elite middle linebackers in the sport, giving Greg Williams a big piece to work with. So we'll see how that works out Monday night against the Patriots. And I want to bring this up again also because last week I mentioned Leonard Williams and Brian Costello of the New York Post writing that article in defense of Williams and getting quotes from Greg Williams in defense of Williams and talking about Leonard as being a guy that does the little things, being a guy that does the things that don't show up in the stat book 
which is all well and good. You need those guys on a football team, but that's not somebody that I want to spend you know, $10, $15 million a year on. That's not the type of player that I want to invest those dollars on. With Leonard Williams being a free agent at the end of the year, somebody that's going to command big money as a Jet fan, I don't know that I want to spend that money on Leonard Williams. And with the trade deadline coming up, if you can get a second or a third round draft pick for him, I would seriously take a look at that. But the reason why I wanted to bring this up again was because, like I had said, that article came out after... Costello earlier in the year was kind of talking about the fact that there's everybody always defending Leonard Williams and you know maybe he's not as good of a player as everybody that's in defense of him makes him out to be uh, but writing that article then in the middle of the season seems surprising because it kind of went about went against that thought from earlier in the year and was just defending Leonard Williams as a player that's better than he appears to be on the field but if they are, could actually take a look to trade him. Because now, this past week, there's been talks that the, the Jets are looking to trade Leonard Williams. So if that's the case, maybe writing that article, maybe getting those quotes from Greg Williams, maybe having Greg Williams put it out there that Leonard Williams does the dirty work and that he loves Leonard Williams and he wants him to be here and he thinks he's an underrated, undervalued asset to the Jets' defense, maybe doing that is kind of a, a way to, to get it out there in the public and public knowledge that the Jets aren't just going to give him away the Jets would only trade him if they could get a second or third round pick and try to boost his value a little bit heading into the trade deadline. So last week, when I was a little bit critical of the article, this week I want to kind of go back and say, you know what, maybe it was just a little bit of gamesmanship, and uh, that's their way of attempting to boost his value as they head to the trade deadline. So we'll see if Leonard Williams survives the trade deadline in a couple of weeks. All right, moving along quickly because I'm trying to get this podcast done without having to squeeze a commercial break in here. But the offensive line, which Sam Darnold was speaking so highly of, uh, with their win against the Dallas Cowboys. Kelvin Beecham is unlikely, so it looks like they're going to go with rookie Chuma Doga Monday night at left tackle. And Beecham hasn't been great in there anyway, so maybe he gets something surprising with the third-round pick out of USC. We'll see. Brandon Shell then moves back over to right tackle. Ryan Khalil is questionable. I, I don't think you'll lose anything by going to Jonathan Harrison at center if Khalil is unable to go. He's worked more with Darnold than Khalil has anyway. The biggest problem, though, is just the inconsistency with the offensive line, just the, the unstableness, the, the inability to have five guys out there consistently for Sam Darnold to work with. You, you don't like all the movement back and forth. I mean, who ends up being better than who we'll see but it's still there's there's so much importance of becoming a collective unit and the inability of the Jets to get anything going with that at the offensive line I think severely stunts Sam Darnold's growth uh, there was the cool story from Meta of the Daily News during the week and this is just for the the practice squad but Corbin Kafusi, six foot nine 275 and he was he was a defensive end at BYU, he went undrafted, picked up by the Saints where he played defensive end also. Drafted in the 10th round of the new startup, the XFL, by the St. Louis Battlehawks, also at defensive end. And the Jets just signed him to their practice squad as an offensive lineman, trying to see if he could convert over to, to becoming an offensive lineman. So I guess that's that's something interesting to watch. For. I mean, the, the, fact, the guy's 6'9", 275, so his reach is going to be incredible and his brother Bronson is, is also, he had a cup of coffee with the Jets. Now he's on the practice squad as well. Uh, but it, it was just kind of interesting to see a guy get drafted in the 10th round by the XFL as a defensive player. And then an NFL team choose to sign him as an offensive lineman. But I guess the Jets think they see something in him that nobody else seems to notice. And then that takes us to the Kaleche Osemele debacle, disaster with the New York Jets. First off, here's what really sucks. This is a 30-year-old all-pro, two-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, offensive lineman, 
and the Jets traded for him, and they get nothing out of him. So let's start there, because he was not very good the first couple of weeks of the season, which maybe you want to chalk up to the fact that apparently he was injured prior to the season starting. Then he misses the last couple of games, and now he wants to be out for the rest of the season uh, to get surgery on his shoulder. So KO gets two opinions on his shoulder that says he needs surgery. And then the New York Jets doctors say, yes, he needs surgery, but it could wait to the offseason. He could play through it and just has to deal with the pain. But what if KO can't play with the pain? What if the pain is so excruciating that he can't play offensive line, that you got a guy with a bad shoulder that just can't play the offensive line position? What if the pain is that bad that he does need the surgery right now and can't wait until the offseason? Now, is it possible that he's 30 years old and says, you know what, I really just don't want to play football anymore. I have this bad shoulder. Uh, I just want to sit out the rest of the season. I want to collect my money this year. Maybe I'll retire at the end of the end of the season or take a year off and, and try to get fully healthy for next year. When he could play, yes, it's possible. But how are the Jets going to be the ones to judge that? How are the Jets going to be the ones to say, no, you're not hurt enough to have the surgery now. You need to wait till later and just play through it and deal with it. How are, how are they able to determine that? Regardless of who's right and who's wrong, who's healthy, who's not, whether or not Osemele could play or not or, or could play through the injury or needs the surgery now, needs the surgery in the offseason, the bottom line is the Jets look really, really bad in this situation because players are going to side with the player, so the Jets look bad. The first-year general manager, Joe Douglas, looks bad for allowing the team, the franchise, the organization to get into a dispute like this with a player and don't you think impending free agents are, are taking notice? Don't you think players from other teams are going to see what happened and see how the Jets handled this injury with Osemele and say, well, what happens if I get injured? And what happens, happens if I'm in a similar situation? Are you just going to hang me out to dry like that and find me when I'm actually injured and can't play and say that I don't need the surgery now when I, in fact, do need the surgery? Don't you think that other free agents are that's going to be a red flag and maybe say if, if all things are even between the Jets and another team, then this is going to sway them to go to the other team? Don't you think Jamal Adams is taking notice? Adams, who has already put out feelers about not wanting to be here anymore. Adams, who has already scrubbed his social media of saying any mention of the New York Jets. Don't you think that maybe he doesn't like the treatment of KO by the Jets here? But this is this is a bad look for the Jets and something that is just kind of some typical off-field nonsense that should have been and could have been avoided but uh, became public knowledge and now now they look really bad for it. Am I concerned about the Jets' offensive line against the, the Patriots' number one defense in the NFL? Absolutely. Am I concerned that everybody's getting a little bit too confident about the Jets, a 1-4 team going up against the 6-0 and Patriots? Absolutely. Are the, the Patriots' offense is struggling a little bit? Yes. But they average 31.7 points per game. They average close to 400 yards per game of offense. The Jets average 12 points and 220 yards per game. The, the Patriots almost 20 more points per game than the New York Jets this season in scoring. And we're banking on them coming in as a struggling offense. That being said, especially without Josh Gordon this week, the Patriots are not a they're they're still a good offense. Don't don't let anybody fool you. They are a good offense. They're not a quick strike offense. And they're not the type of offense that makes me say the Jets need to run the ball, kill the clock, keep the pats off the field. The Patriots have the best defense in the league. I don't want to attempt to rely on a ground-and-pound style against them and, and hope the offensive line and running game can hold up, kill the clock, and win the time of possession. That's not how I want to go out and attempt to, to beat the Patriots. I want to use the quarterback. I want to use the passing game. I want to spread the ball around, use the wide receivers, and try to use a, a successful passing attack 
to uh, to beat the Patriots and keep up with them offensively in this game. And I know the running game has looked very pedestrian by the, the Jets so far this season. Le'Veon Bell, five games, nearly a third of the way through the season, uh, 250 rushing yards, a 3.0 yards per attempt. I don't think he's been nearly as bad as the numbers suggest. You look at the numbers and you, you think a, at the age of 27, this is just another running back past his prime. I don't think that's the case with Le'Veon Bell. I think there's absolutely going to be a time when Le'Veon Bell is the focal point of this offense in certain games. I just don't think it's this week against the Patriots. I don't think that's how you go out and beat New England. This is not a ground-and-pound type of offense from the Jets. That's not the way you need to beat the Patriots because they're not a quick-strike offense. Go out, use Sam Darnold, use the passing game, keep it close. Let's have a close game in the fourth quarter and uh, and see what happens. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Brandon Contest Jets podcast. We'll chat after Monday Night Football against the Patriots. Big a. Uh, 